The KM Community Podcast, bringing you stories from Kent's communities every week. Hello and welcome to the KM Community Podcast. I'm your host Oliver Kemp and I'll be bringing you the stories that matter at the heart of communities across the county. If you have a story you think needs to be told, just use the hashtag KM Community on social media or you can email me on okemp at thekmgroup.co.uk. This week... Residents and businesses across the county are at a greater risk of falling victims of cyber fraud than ever before. Between April 2018 and 2019, Kent Police recorded almost 2,000 non-judicial instances of cybercrime in the county. So what kinds of cyber fraud are out there and how can we protect ourselves? To discuss this, I'm joined by Amy Payne, cyber fraud expert and prevent and protect officer for Kent Police. The KM Community Podcast. So Amy Payne, welcome to the KM Community Podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. Thanks for being on this. Um, so we want to talk a bit about cybercrime, cyber fraud. That, that's very much something we want to talk about. It's it's cybercrime month as well, so people are talking about it a lot. It's in the public consciousness. This is a far bigger issue than it was 10 years ago. Is that right? It is, yeah. As Obviously, as time is going on, technology is changing. More and more people have devices. Um, and as sort of the world is developing, um, obviously the crime is, is, is developing. You know, we see a lot of low-level uh, cyber attacks, cyber um, incidents uh, with young people who are committing these types of crime. Um, so obviously there is a, a, a trend where it's getting slightly you know, worse as such. But um, yeah, definitely a huge um, issue that's increasing. And especially in Kent, it's increasing as well. I suppose that's because, you know, 15, 20 years ago, you go back and you look at the internet and the internet was almost like a bit of fun, wasn't it? You go on, you watch yeah. some videos, just some cat videos or whatever, and you might do a little bit of shopping, but there wasn't that much to it. And you think now it's so ingratiated into our society that I suppose it's inevitable that there's going to be some kind of criminal activity on it. Yeah, I suppose with, you know, as, as the time changes, um, I mean, you know, we see that children have got devices, you know, they're using for all sorts of things. The internet's a fantastic thing anyway. Um, you know, it, it's designed to connect people overseas, etc. So there's always a good element of, of the internet, but also as well, there's always going to be that under the dark world of the internet. Um, and that's obviously where things are progressing. Um, and, you know, things are changing in the sense of people kind of, you know, with the crime changing, uh, we see that obviously around 53% of of all uh, crime in Kent has some online element. Um, so obviously we're seeing a change in Kent um, of that. So obviously we're having to look at ways that we can change the way that we police the internet um, and do things along those lines. So, Because I know you've talked before about the, this idea that um, you, know, you lock your doors and windows when you leave the house and people don't think the same way about the internet. Mm. Now that must be quite, it's quite a big challenge to educate people though, isn't it? And saying this, this actually is statistically more likely to, to end up getting some kind of fraud in the cyber world than it is someone breaking into your house. So yeah, so I suppose with regard to uh, things changing, people tend to not realise the, uh, the difference between, you know, actually their physical security as well as their cyber security. Um, so one of the things that I try to sort of educate people and part of my job as, as a cyber protect officer is actually to try and educate people um, that actually they have to put the same emphasis as much as they do within their uh, home um, security, so the door locking and their you know, windows and alarms that actually, you know, you can be burgled in your own home in front of your computer. You know, somebody can attack your computer very, very easily nowadays um, and it doesn't take somebody much to do that. Um, so 
I try to sort of tell people, you know, a password is a great way to protect your computer. It's the same that you would be locking your door. An antivirus is a good way, and, and two-factor authentication is a really good way to protect your devices. Um, it's a bit like an alarm. It alerts you when there's something going wrong with your devices. Um, you know, if you have something broken, the door's broken, you're going to go in and you're going to fix that. Um, because you want to make sure that you're secure. And it's the same as that with patching your software and updating it, because actually there's a vulnerability there, then you need to patch that and repair that. Um, and the same with, you know, you wouldn't put uh, something outside your home to say, this is my date of birth, um, this is where I live, and this is my name, come in, I'm away. Um, and this is what happens on social media a lot of the time. A lot of people don't realise that their social media accounts are open um, and that people can just view that. Um, it's your responsibility as uh, consumers of social media to make sure that your privacy settings are secure because you're giving information away for free. Um, you're making it easy. You know, we don't need to put dates of birth on social media. There's no need for that. Um, we don't need to put our full names on there and what we do for a living um, if we're going on holiday. All of those things don't need to be on social media, but people seem to do it. Um, and that's one of the things that I try to explain to people when I do my talks. It's the easiest way to protect yourself. Do you think some of that might be the fault of large social media companies like Facebook and Twitter? Because the whole idea of these, these companies is to connect people. So you're, the way that people have, have always gone about Facebook is you want to put your pictures of your family on there, you want people to know about you. Um, and maybe early on there wasn't enough education on actually what some of the potential causes of cybercrime are and, and what some of the issues might be of putting your date of birth on there, putting your, your address on there. I mean, I'm, I'm sure when Facebook started, people were, were putting wholesale all of their details out there yeah. for people to potentially steal. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think what people don't realise, I mean, things are getting better with social media. I mean, there's been lots in the press recently about kind of, you know, Facebook and Instagram making sure that, you know, they are protecting people's data. But... Um, obviously that's going to take time that's not something that's going to just happen overnight and actually you know you get the very basic when you log on to Facebook and you um, you know set up an account the privacy settings are set at basic and you have to physically go into each part of that and protect it so I always say to people you know make sure that you don't you know, tag your friends in to where you are in locations. Um, be a good friend, a Facebook friend, where you don't actually show who you're friends with, because actually that's how you can be socially engineered. Um, also, as well, you know, making sure that you don't put your telephone number on there as well, because you can actually close that. That doesn't have to be public or um, shared amongst friends. It can just be a private thing that you have on there. Um, and the same with uh, your email address. Your email address. One of the things that I try and sort of say to people is um, with email accounts, have two separate email accounts. Have one for your Facebook, your social media, and have one private. Have a private account that you don't share with anybody. And that's a really good way of sectioning off um, social media and your personal life as well. And that's how I, I try to think about it as well. And if we could just go back for a minute about uh, this idea of two-factor authentication. Some people that are listening to the podcast might not understand quite what that is, so if you could just briefly explain that to us. So two-factor authentication is basically something you activate onto things like emails, um, social media, um, and it's basically what will happen is you'll have um, a, a text message um, or um, a code that's sent to you to authenticate it's you. So if somebody's trying to access your account from an unknown source, and it might be you, um, what will happen is that two-factor will, will, will activate and it will send you a link 
or it'll send you a message to say, is this you? And if it isn't you, then you don't, you don't press that or you don't give the code. Um, and that's kind of the way that happens. And actually, it's probably the easiest and basic way to protect anything um, in, in your social media and your email. I mean, it happened to me. Um, I, I have two-factor authentication set up on Facebook. Somebody tried to access my account in the middle of the night. It asked me if it was me. So as I woke up in the morning, I saw this message. Was it me? No, it wasn't. Um, so that, that person didn't get into my account. Um, and it told me where that person was. Um, and obviously, it, that wasn't me. So that's a really easier way to sort of protect the devices. And do you think, because um, two-factor authentication seems like it's becoming more of a norm now for these websites, but, but back in, I mean, I know there was, there was some, there was apps like Authy mm -hmm. who kind of created two-factor authentication for the websites that didn't have it. But it seems now like most social media seems to have that set up and it's got the idea that actually we need to make sure we're protecting people yeah. with this. It's all about layering. So password is one layer. You know, two-factor authentication is another layer. And it's all about realising that if you layer the security, you're naturally going to protect yourself further. You know, you're going to protect your um, your clients, your consumers of, of those, um, and it's it's all about that that layer. Um, so that's why we sort of you know say to people passwords um, because that's one layer. You know if, if you're trying to log onto your your phone or your laptop, you've got a password there. You might have a password, then you go into your um, email account. Then that that might be set up with two-factor authentication. So already that's three layers without even you know really thinking about it. Um, and I think as time goes on you know, things are changing. I mean, obviously, there's lots of things around um, biometrics. So we look at fingerprints, facial recognition, voice, um, eye recognition, um, and things are changing. So we are going more towards that to make it easier for people that they haven't got to sort of think about all these passwords. It's actually, you know, automatically with the face or the voice or the fingerprint. Um, so things are changing more towards the biometrics. Yeah. And, and if you could go back for us a little bit and talk about what actually are some of the, the main cyber fraud activities that are happening to residents in Kent? Um, so I see a lot of trends around um, hacking of, of social media, uh, hacking of email accounts. Um, so we class those as cyber dependent crimes. So cyber dependent is crimes that can only be committed with a computer. So we also see as well with, with businesses, um, we see a lot of ransomware, we see a lot of um, DDoS attacks, which is the distributed denial of service, so where the systems gets flooded with, with information and crashes. Um, so we see that a lot. Um, but also as well, we see lots of different frauds. So one of the big frauds that we see, um, which is class, we class those as cyber-enabled uh, crimes, where it's crime committed um, with a computer element. So we see things like courier fraud, which is where people are impersonating uh, police officers or law enforcement, um, pretending um, to these individuals that they're helping with an investigation um, and they need them to go to the bank to withdraw money. Or it may be that um, you know they might need their bank cards or some help with the investigation. And then obviously they kind of work with that person to try and manipulate them just that little bit more. Um, and obviously that that's affecting more the older generation that we're seeing that trend happen more um, and obviously as law enforcement it's trying to get those messages out to the, those older people so one of my jobs and one of my colleagues jobs is to make sure that we try and get those messages out so we work a lot with um, sort of Age UK um, and lots of other organisations that can kind of reach out to those um, vulnerable older people really. And, and is it predominantly older people that are being taken for a ride by these criminals? Um, I think 
we see a lot more with sort of career fraud, definitely. I think the average age is around 77, um, where with the younger generation, it's more the social media side. It's more the, you know, the weak passwords. It's, um, you know, too much information on social media. That's what we see more with the younger side. But with the older side, it's more the traditional fraud. So, the, you know, the courier fraud um, and the things, and doorstep crime and things like that. That's what we see more so. Um, and that's the split. But, yeah, it's, it is... Crime can happen to anybody. You know, we all realise that at some point we all are a victim of this type of crime. It's not something that none of us can be not become victims of because we've all received that phishing email. We've all received those phone calls to say that we've had some issues with our, you know, we've had an accident that wasn't our fault um, and press one to continue. You know, we've asked people phoning us to say, um, you know, you've got a fault with your computer. Um, I need to gain access to fix that. They might be saying they're Microsoft or BT or one of these organisations. Um, and people, unfortunately, we're very trusting. We're very trusting and believe what these people are saying to us on the phone or on the, on the emails and things like that. So that does happen a lot. So I think crimes are kind of going from there, really. And it's all just about taking advantage of people not understanding exactly yeah. how people can be taken advantage yeah. of. And going back slightly, you talked about distributed denial of service attacks on, on businesses and kind of getting websites shut down, which obviously could have a massive financial impact on businesses. Why would someone want to do that? Um, so we, it depends really. I mean, we see a lot of um, that happening sometimes with uh, young people, so people that are trying to trial in their skills. Um, so one area of my work is working with young children who have committed uh, cyber offences. Um, so we're looking at the average age around, um, at the moment, we're dealing with sort of children around about 13 um, who've, who are committing offences. And they're just trialling their skills out to see whether they can do it. It might be that it might be somebody um, that has maybe um, a vendetta against that particular company and wants to knock them offline, or it just might be that that person, um, the company might be, you know, a, a fuel company or something along those lines, and actually, you know, someone might target them because of that. It's like an ideological reason. Yeah, absolutely. So it's kind of, that's why they might get targeted. Um, and then obviously to knock them offline, it's going to cause a, a detrimental effect to the company, the reputation um, and you know, financial losses, all that sort of thing that happens. Um, so, yeah, we do see a lot of that. I, I think, well, I find that quite shocking that, that, that you'd be having to work with 13-year-olds who are, who are kind of creating DDoS attacks, hacking as it were. That's quite a young age to be getting involved in that kind of crime. I mean, yeah. any crime, of course, but, but that crime specifically. And I guess the fear from people is that you can just sit in your bedroom at home and, and Absolutely. So one of the, the areas of my work is around um, cyber prevent. So um, we look at positively diverting these young individuals to make sure they're using their skills in the correct way. So one of the things that I do is we do a lot of intervention workshops with those individuals. We make sure that they understand the law. Um, and we kind of give them a chance. So a lot of the children that I deal with are neurodiverse. Um, so they tend to sort of not realise the consequences of, of their actions. Um, so one of the things that we do is educate them around the law, 
kind of give them a choice, okay, find this what path they're going to choose, whether they're going to go down the right path or the wrong path. And then we give them a, um, resources to be able to utilise their skills in the right way. And we've had some really good responses from it. So, um, and we're doing a lot of work with schools, we're doing a lot of um, work with individuals um, and trying to make sure that we keep them on the right track because they're very, very talented individuals, uh, so clever. Um, and we needed people like this to protect us as well, um, not working against us. So what we're trying to do is make sure that we get them on our side um, and obviously help them to develop their skills further, but legally rather than illegally. Because there's this whole subculture, isn't there? There's, there's this whole element now of, of some businesses that are working with what you can call ethical hackers. Mm -hmm. And these people are uh, basically there to, to prove the weaknesses in security yeah. in order for organisations and individuals to make sure they're not going to be at risk of someone who's maliciously trying to hack. Yeah. So is, is that going to be a big... Do you think that'll end up being a part of, of kind of helping maybe these young people utilise their skills for a, a positive reason? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, what we try to do is is get them to, you know, we ask them what they want to do for a career. Most of them want to be ethical hackers. Um, but actually, there's a fine line between ethical hacking and illegal hacking, so being a white hat and a black hat um, hacker. So and there's obviously the grey hat as well, which is in the middle. Um, so it, there is a very fine line between those individuals uh, um, and what they choose to do. But most of the time, they're kind of going down a path that's illegal, um, and it's just us diverting them back into, actually, you can... You can, um, you know, do some penetration testing for businesses, but you have to have authority to do that. It's all about author authorization. If they don't have the authority, they can't do it. Um, and I think that's where they go wrong. They think that they're helping, um, and then, you know, we've seen in the press these things happening, um, and these kids are kind of like, well, I found the vulnerability, and I'm just telling them this is where the vulnerability is, but you didn't have authority to do that. Um, so you shouldn't be doing it, you're breaking the law. Um, so that's where we kind of work really closely with them. And actually, you know, as I said, we've had some really positive outcomes. We've had some really good uh, young individuals who've gone off um, and now working, you know, in companies um, because they've been realised how brilliant their skills are, um, but also as well been working with individuals that now have gone on to college to develop the skills further. Um, and there's so many programs out there for the young children to look at. I mean, there's a cybersecurity challenge. Um, we're looking to develop um, another program that's going to come out to schools in 2020. It's called the Matrix Challenge, which is going to go to schools to identify children and they compete. Um, and then, you know, to try and get those individuals at an early age to get in the right paths. Because at what point are is the law taught to them? You know, they're taught to code, they're taught to do all those things, but actually law is not embedded in that, and that's where we come in. And I think, like you said, that's quite difficult if you're talking about white, white hat, black hat, grey hat, when you have you know, political or ideological stances that you see in the, in the media. You see, if you look at, for example, Extinction Rebellion, who mm -hmm. have had a huge presence this year in Kent, and we've had them in Maidstone yesterday, and we have them up in London. Um, and and if, if you kind of fall within that political ideology as you, when you're younger, and you're told, well, you should go and hack this, this fuel company, you should... You should stage a DDoS attack on this organisation, you probably feel like you're doing it for the right reasons um, without maybe understanding the wider implications of the law and the fact that actually what you're doing is mm. considered illegal. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, you know, obviously they, they go down paths that they don't realise and, and, and that's something that we are trying to sort of work quite closely. So we get referrals in from, you know, schools, um, from, you know, reports, we get referrals in um, and we try to look at it a little bit more holistically and try and think about these individuals and sit down with them and ask them, you know, what, why, why has this happened? You know, you know, I don't 
you know, we don't want to go out there and arrest, you know, young children. You know, it's not kind of what, you know, we want to do. So we're trying to look at ways that we can develop them in, in a different way, in a better way, in a holistic way, and, and develop them in a better way so that they can go and utilise their skills legally and ethically um, and all of that sort of thing. So, yeah. Uh, well, one more question from you, Amy. So uh, the fact that, obviously, the cyber security world has transformed a lot in the last decade and obviously Kent Police wants to work alongside that to make sure you guys are consistently trying to be a step ahead of those. Do you feel like you're finally getting to a precipice now where you understand the cyber world and you're able to combat those things or is it a case where it could change at any moment and a new threat could be on the horizon and then you have to completely re reorganise and re-establish how you, how you try and combat that? I think the threats have always been the same but obviously the, different, the threats come in in different forms. So it might be on one occasion, it might be that we've seen a, a trend of um, phishing emails around banks. Um, so then the messaging that we send out is, you know, don't respond to any information from banks that you, you know, you're not expecting. And things have move on where they go, you know, they've we've seen uh, emails coming out where it's, you know, DVLA, the TV licence. So they kind of, they deviate onto different things. So we have to then change our messaging to make sure that, you know, that as that trend is happening and that, that change is happening, that we keep up with that. Um, and unfortunately it happens once the incident has happened, but we can then maybe try and protect people um, and to stop that happening in the, in the future. But they do change quite regularly. Um, and obviously things like ransomware, uh, one of the things that obviously the threat changes all the time so you might have a strain of ransomware that actually you then have a, a kill code to get the, off the system but then that that will change and they develop even more so they they get better so then you, then they has to find another kill code to kill that particular ransomware and so on um, so that's the sort of thing we have to keep up with and the trends I mean my role is a forever learning role uh, I constantly have to research I have to keep looking for threats um, you know all the time um, to keep up with it and because it does change and it is as I said, forever learning. I, I don't stop researching and there's always something new that's come in and it just might be slightly tweaked. It will be the same threat, but slightly tweaked. It's just about staying ahead of that curve then. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Well, Amy, thank you very much. That's okay, thank you. The KM Community Podcast, bringing you stories from Kent's communities every week.